from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Casey Lecomte Rimfro on August 21, 2017. Casey is the author of the book Hot Air, which is a young adult novel about Annie, who comes from a broken family and decides to leave her home, but hasn't figured out how. Until one day at a fair, she sees a hot air balloon and gets an idea. Her experience teaches her about the people she meets and also about herself. You can find Casey's book at onevoicepress.com. You'll notice that the voice quality is sketchy. I kept having Casey move from place to place in her house until we got the best quality. We found that sweet spot at about seven and a half minutes into the interview. So please be patient when listening. I promise you the sound quality enhances significantly. I started the interview by asking Casey where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I grew up in Bay Area, California. So to be more specific, I grew up in a suburb outside of San Francisco called San Bruno. I was raised Catholic, and the religion was present in my life from a very young age, which was wonderful. I attended St. Robert's for school. It's a Catholic grammar school, and it was walking distance from my house. My sisters and I all went there, and I'm one of three girls. Our family loved the sense of community. It was a small school. It really was a family affair. My experience was that of a tightly knit community. Everyone knew everyone, and I enjoyed it. My childhood was very homogenous in terms of religious exposure, though, So because it was a small community and everybody shared the same religious identity, I wasn't really even exposed to people practicing other variations of Christianity until I went to high school, and that was a public school. Now, while going to public high school, I really remained as involved as one could with the St. Robert's Church and community. I was an altar server longer than anyone else I knew. I lectured, which means I read scripture from the pulpit to people attending mass prior to the priest giving the evening's sermon. And I worked at the church rectory, which is where the priest lives every Saturday for four years. I did administrative type of work. I stuffed the church bulletin and did various other types of jobs for them. And I enjoyed all of it. I loved it. Going to Mass with St. Roberts and seeing so many people I had known my entire life was always very comforting to me, and it was really part of my identity and sense of security as an adolescent. So after public high school, I chose to attend Catholic College, and that was St. Mary's in Moraga, California, and I can remember sitting in my freshman dorm room with the window open, hearing the church bells ring on Sunday evenings calling people to Mass, and just feeling such a deep sense of peace. So you see, it wasn't just the religion itself, as in the teachings and the way in which 
I was taught to understand the Bible that spoke to me. It was the sense of community and the beauty of tradition that tied me to the Catholic faith. And I never felt the need to question my religious upbringing until my junior year in college. I was a philosophy major and the majority of my teachers were Catholic converts. So they were teaching a very authentic Orthodox form of Catholicism in my classes. It was the first time in my life that the veil separating me from everything I didn't know or fully understand about my religion was lifted. I was taught the authentic dogma of the faith and felt as though Catholicism's full spectrum was being shown to me. And for the first time, I could see beyond the perspective of my priest and how he chose to teach the faith and felt like I was really seeing the Catholic faith for itself, for exactly what it is, and more importantly, what it intends to be. Catholicism is a beautiful religion. It's full of rich history and tradition and loving, kind, wonderful people and clergy. But the deeper I dove into my evolving understanding of their religion, the more I began to question to what extent I personally really identified with it. And the inception of this doubt, this questioning of my religious identity, was really an identity crisis. Questions and doubts about my most deeply rooted beliefs came bubbling to the surface, and it was terrifying. If what I had always thought to be true was no longer than what was, if one of the main factors that made me, me, was no longer something that I identified with, then who was I? And these were the questions that began my journey that were ultimately the catalyst for me to embrace the Baha'i faith four years later when I was 25 years old. And so what was that journey that took your search from where you realized the tenets of the Catholic Church were not resonating for you to you finding the Baha'i faith and becoming a Baha'i? Well, in the midst of this evolution of my religious identity, I never ceased to believe in God. Viewing him as an omnipotent creator, myself as the created. But while I investigated various institutionalized religions, I considered myself spiritual. The summer following my graduation from college, I did a year of service with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is a volunteer program through the Catholic Church. And I moved to Atlanta and lived in a low-income neighborhood in solidarity with the poor, which is one of the pillars of the organization. I took about 30 and lived in community with six other volunteers, and we were each placed at a local nonprofit. And my placement was with the International Community School, which is a charter school, a charter elementary school for American and refugee children. Casey, where was this again? The International Community School in the suburb outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. It's located in Decatur, Georgia. My year at this school really exposed me to people from over 40 different countries. And for the first time in my life, it exposed me to Muslims. I wasn't just teaching Muslim children. I was working with Muslim colleagues. And this was right after 9-11. And so the contrast of how the media was promoting Islam versus what I was missing and experiencing firsthand in my friends with these people, women in particular, was acute. My experience of Islam was that of a beautiful and peaceful religion, 
that I investigated myself. This is what I like to refer to as my personal experience of progressive revelation, which according to the Baha'i faith is how God revealed himself to us throughout time. The prophets of the major world religions, beginning with Abraham to the present day, with Baha'is recognizing and living according to the teachings of Baha'u'llah, who is the most recent prophet or manifestation of God. I began my life as a Christian, but then began to realize and wrestle with the feeling that there might be more. And this brought me to Islam and the teachings of that religion. While I found Islam to be beautiful and fulfilled some of the questions I had about God's intent for humanity and where we were ultimately being guided through his teachings, I still found myself with unanswered questions and just not completely satisfied. And so I continued my search. Now, this is where it gets interesting because the Baha'i faith was not something I suddenly learned about after being exposed to Islam. I had known a Baha'i in high school, Joanna Portillo, and we took journalism together. And we had known one another for about a year when at the end of our junior year, she told me she was moving to El Salvador. And when I asked her why, she explained that she was a Baha'i and she and her family were moving there to teach the faith. I asked her what the Baha'i faith was because at that point in my life, I had never heard the word Baha'i before. And so she shared a few pillars of the faith with me that sounded spot on, such as the universal right to education, the equality of men and women, and the promise of world peace. But you see, at this point, I wasn't questioning my own religion. And so while I liked what I heard, and it stayed with me from that point on, it wasn't a catalyst for further investigation at that point in my life. In college, my friends and I loved to drive to San Francisco to eat at a restaurant called Kanzaman, and the Baha'is had an adopt the highway sign on the exit we took to get there. And every time I saw it, I thought of what Joanna had told me. So several years later, after I had completed the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and was still living in Atlanta, working at the International Community School and pursuing my master's in philosophy, a few friends and I were having dinner one night. And at this point, I considered myself to be spiritual. One friend was Muslim, one was an atheist, and the other was a Baha'i, which I didn't know at the time because I was just starting to get to know her. Well, we started talking about religion, the four of us, and I mentioned the Baha'i faith being something I had always been interested in knowing more about. Well, this was when Mona spoke up. And she had this look on her face, this, are you serious look? And she said to me, smiling, I'm a Baha'i. She and her family came to the States from Iran when she was four. Well, Mona ended up becoming one of my dearest friends. We would go to eat and sit and talk for hours about life and the Baha'i faith. And she would tell me stories about people of great importance in the religion, such as Tahereh, a female of unprecedented historical significance, both in the Baha'i and secular world. She gave me my first Baha'i prayer book and picture of Abdul Baha, who is the son of the manifestation Baha'u'llah. And she also put me in touch with a friend of hers, Jalal Volker, 
who she thought I might learn even more about the faith from. Jalal had just finished the Peace Corps and was traveling the world, and so he and I never actually met, but we shared prayers and life stories and worldly insights via email. And he really did become a dear friend of mine as well, who really helped deepen my understanding of the faith. And this is where it gets really interesting, because the Baha'i faith truly is a global community. Everyone is so easily connected to one another. There's really one to max three degrees of separation in the Baha'i world. And here's proof of that. When I completed my master's, I decided to move back to California, where I grew up. And I asked Joel via email if he knew any Baha'is in the San Francisco area that he could connect me to. Well, he had a friend who was serving at the Baha'i World Center, which is the headquarters of the Baha'i faith in Haifa, Israel, who happened to know a young man who had just completed his own three years of service and recently moved back to the part of California where I was going to be moving to as well. Guess what this young man's name was? Justin Portillo. He was the first cousin of my friend, my high school friend, and the first person to ever say the word Baha'i to me, Joanna Portillo. So the way that everything came full circle never ceases to amaze me. And God's hand in guiding me to this faith is literally undeniable. Justin and I ended up becoming really good friends. And through him, I met so many amazing young adult Baha'is. And at one point, I was participating in four Baha'i study circles simultaneously. My heart was on fire because I had found my truth in the Baha'i faith. And all I wanted to do was study it, understand it, absorb it. The concepts and teachings of the Baha'i faith completely aligned with my worldview. A religion had never done that for me before. I remember the moment it all clicked. I was riding BART into San Francisco and was reading a Baha'i tablet that Justin had loaned me. The passage I was reading so beautifully and clearly explained how Baha'u'llah is the return of Christ, thus fulfilling both the Christian and Islamic prophecies. Now, it's important to understand that after I stopped identifying as a Christian, my love for Christ never diminished. I simply no longer viewed him as God incarnate, but I continued to revere him as a great prophet and teacher sent to humanity by God to guide and protect us. When I grasped this concept that Baha'u'llah was the return of this prophet, who I knew and understood more so than any other, it opened my heart even more to Baha'u'llah and to his teachings. And then literally the only thing left to do was become a Baha'i. And so I did. The faith made sense to me on an intellectual and heartfelt level. And so it was everything. So this is Casey Lecomp Renfro, author of the book Hot Air, which we will be talking about later. So Casey, in the description of your search and becoming a Baha'i, were your parents aware of your search beyond Catholicism and your trajectory toward the Baha'i faith? And if so, what was their reaction to that? That's a great question. Both my mother and my father, along with my stepmom and stepdad, 
were very aware of this religious journey that I was on and how inspired I was with what I was learning from the Baha'i faith. My mom in particular was really going through this experience with me because things came to a head in terms of my studying and pursuit of the Baha'i faith right around the time when I moved back to California. And I had moved back home with my mom and my stepdad. She was right there in the midst of it, watching me go out to these different Baha'i gatherings and having Baha'i friends come over for study circles to deepen our understanding of the Baha'i writings. She would come with me to devotionals, which are Baha'i prayer gatherings with me and my friends. And she even participated in a Ruhi Book One study circle. And the Ruhi Institute is basically instructional guide to people who are seeking to learn more about the Baha'i faith. Baha'is also take the Ruhi study books to deepen their own understanding of the religion itself. The fact that she was not just watching, but that she was participating with me was so incredibly supportive. It was a catalyst for me to progress in my pursuit of the faith itself because I felt that support at home, even though my family was predominantly Catholic or I think many of my family members at this point would identify more with the term spiritual as I had at one point in my life. They have always been nothing but respectful and accepting and had open arms regarding the Baha'i faith in general and particularly me identifying as a Baha'i. And so for that, I'm immensely grateful because I know that that is not everybody's experience when they convert religions. I think sometimes it can be very difficult. And for me, it was a very loving and supporting environment that I was a part of during that journey. So I'm speaking with Casey LeCompte Rinfro, author of Hot Air. So Casey, can you tell us what inspired you to write a book, and in particular, this book titled Hot Air? So that question, the what inspired me to write this book, will be answered within the context of me describing the book itself. So if it's okay, I'd like to go ahead and answer that question along with just provide a little bit of background regarding the book itself simultaneously. Yeah, that'll be fine. So Annie is the main character. She is 12 and deeply unsatisfied with her life in small town, Gisela, Arizona. Her dad abandoned her and her mom when she was an infant. And mom is an alcoholic who is physically present, but emotionally vacant. At the fairgrounds one night, Annie sees a hot air balloon. And this moment is the dawning of her plan to leave her current life behind in search of something greater that she knows lies in wait for her. Shadon is the person who will help her do this. He is also arguably the first adult Annie ever willingly trusted and came to believe in. So Annie finds herself having to suspend her disbelief from the very beginning if this journey is going to happen. 
this suspension of her disbelief is the theme of faith, which is an undercurrent of the story itself. At the beginning of the book, she mentions how she was not raised to believe in God, but is realizing that for this journey to happen, starting with building the hot air balloon itself, something larger than herself will have to kick in to aid in this seemingly impossible task. And it's at this moment of realization when she feels completely powerless herself and for the first time considers the possibility of something greater than this empirical world that she encounters the flaming kneed tarantula whose silk is the key component to the construction of the balloon. Now, once the balloon is completed, she's off, pledging to repay Shadon for his assistance, if at all possible, and having no idea where this pledge could potentially lead her on this journey of self. Hot Air is a coming-of-age story, both in how Annie experiences the world and how these experiences influence her evolving concept of a higher power. Her journey is just as much a spiritual one as it is physical. And one of my favorite elements of her spiritual journey is the way in which she comes to a deeper understanding of herself, the world around her, and her growing sense of something greater than both of these always being in the works. And this is achieved through experiencing the light in the darkest aspects of the human existence, child slavery in Haiti, the birth of the Arab Spring in Tunisia, and finally the oppression of Baha'is in Iran. The characters that Annie encounters in all of these places handle immense suffering and injustice with immeasurable grace. It's their collective grace and faith that ultimately reveals the beauty of this world to her. From a Baha'i perspective, Annie's spiritual journey is progressive revelation in the works. She interacts with Christianity in Haiti, Islam in Tunisia, and the Baha'i faith in Iran. From a secular perspective, her journey is one of exposure. The richness of the world is revealed to her through the journey in all its forms, sociologically and religious, but in the sense of coming to a deeper understanding of what people beyond the confines of her small town believe themselves and how these varying beliefs shape the way they live their lives. Her journey is also the opportunity for her to process her personal sense of suffering through witnessing the profound suffering of the characters she comes to know and love. So Annie does suffer, and she experiences great heartache and emotional deprivation at home. But when she not only sees, but experiences firsthand the suffering that so much of the rest of the world experiences as their sole reality, it really helps broaden her perspective regarding her own experiences back home and how she will relate to them moving forward. Truly, my intent in writing and publishing this book was for it at its very best to not just be an interesting story, but for it to be a teaching tool. I've worked with refugees for many years. I've worked for international nonprofit agencies serving the poorest of the poor. And so knowing what I know about the suffering of so much of the rest of the world, 
I really just wanted to take what I know and what I have seen and use it to crack open the realities of the world to the suffering of the masses and thus the privilege of a few and show that to others. And also at the same time to really lay out there the beauty that lies in diversity, because that's another huge and very important theme of hot air. I'm speaking with Casey Lecomte Rinfro, author of the book Hot Air. So Casey, what age group would you say would be ideal for this book? Hot Air is marketed by my publisher as a young adult novel. And so I think it would be most appropriate for the ages of 14 and up. Would you like to read an excerpt from the book? I would love to. Okay, great. I am going to read the first few pages of Chapter 7. And this is where Annie's experience in Haiti has come to an end. And she's moving forward into the next stage of her path using her hot air balloon as a vehicle. What will you do now? Father Rob asked me. It was morning, and although it had only been three days since I first set foot in Haiti, it felt like years had passed through me and under me, over me and around me, within me. I don't know, I said. I feel older, not in a tired way, not in an invigorated, I'm wiser way either, just older. Father Rob absentmindedly tucked a loose strand of light brown hair behind his ear. Then he fiddled with the cross hanging around his neck and smiled. What? I said. Well, that's just it. You are wiser. And it's a wisdom gained through truly living. It's as though you've been stretched and pulled as far as possible in all directions. And just when you thought you were about to snap, you didn't. There are other tasks in store for you. You're not finished. Do you mean there's more for me to do here in Haiti? I thought about staying here with Pierre and his family, but they can barely feed themselves, and I don't want to be a burden. I doubt they would ever consider you as such, he said. You gave them their children back and restored their family. Nothing causes a parent more anguish and despair than their child's suffering. I made a promise to a friend back in Arizona, I said. I said I'd do whatever I could to help him. I left not knowing what that meant, but I'm getting closer to figuring it out. I've got to keep going to wherever I'm supposed to go next. Then I laughed at myself. I do sound older, don't I? Growing up, I was never taught to believe in anything. Life was day after day of dirty dishes piling up in the sink and several drinks to get you through. My friend back home showed me something different. He lives his life to the fullest and considers others. I promised myself I'd try to fix what I could for him because he's given me more than I ever dreamed I could possess. My friend Shadon is a lot like you, I said, looking at Father Rob. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's as though you found the answer to life's great mystery. You're at peace. Father Rob nodded. The challenge I face now is applying the truth I have found to the world we found Abraham in. 
a world I wish didn't exist. So we walked and talked, leaving footprints in the grass, making a path for others to follow. When I was ready to go, Father Rob saw me off, lifting me into the basket and waving goodbye as I rose above him. When he was nothing more than a dot on the horizon, I vowed to keep his memory with me. Looking out over land and sea, between the sun and the water, I felt like I was grasping the entire world in a fleeting glimpse. I saw God and man, the sun and the moon, good and evil, and me and a balloon. I didn't know where I would end up next, nor did I feel the need to question. I only wanted to soar above it all. I would return to the earth soon enough and allowed myself this small freedom with the birds in the sky, all of us melting into one as the sun set beneath us and the moon rose above. So I'm speaking with Casey LeCompte Renfro, who just read from her book, Hot Air. Casey, uh, where can people find your book? You can find my book in print version and electronic version through my publisher's website. They are One Voice Press, and their website is www.onevoicepress.com. You can buy the Kindle version on Amazon, and you can also buy the Nook version on Barnes & Nobles. Oh, it's also available for purchase in the print edition through the Baha'i Distribution Service. Do you have thoughts about another book now that you've got this one behind you? Absolutely. I'm always thinking about what is next to come. And I actually completed my second novel in April of this year. And at this point, it's currently out for submission. I'm hoping to find a literary agent that would like to represent my work. And this one is a multi-perspective adult novel. Well, I look forward to seeing it come out. If people do happen to read my book, I would love to hear your thoughts via reviews on the various websites where it's available. Well, Casey, thank you so much for sharing your story and your work with us. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Casey LeCompte Rimfro, author of the young adult novel Hot Air. You can find her book at onevoicepress.com. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This song is about a girl named Mona She was executed at the age of 16 And until the last moment She stood strong in the face of oppression 
Innocent people torn from their homes What is this prejudice? What is this hatred? Carried in sacks and beat to the bone How is this violence meant to be sacred? Yeah, we all gotta sacrifice But their souls carry on in the afterlife Their souls carry on in the afterlife Their souls carry on in the afterlife And among these Baha'is arose one girl Had one dream just to change the world They said, what could she do? Cause she's only 16 She could recognize truth that nobody had seen She could change the world one soul at a time Where is her freedom a gift divine? She said, reunion is life, separation is death That's what I gotta say to my last breath Go ahead, take me, take me home But don't take my family, take me alone Alright, go ahead, take us, take us all I'm gonna kiss the rope, I'm gonna raise the call She said Just take my soul away Can you free me from these chains? God, where have you gone? Let me share with you my yeah. pain This is what she said She said freedom is the most brilliant word That exists in the whole world So why am I not free to exist in this community? I got dreams of liberty But when I open up my eyes, all I see is tyranny And I swear by the red in my veins that there is no love I can only see pain, I can only see the blood that'll drip like rain Only see the villains that are killing with no shame And the filling up the cemetery with all of my friends Not willing to stop, they go again and again They're coming real fast and they're coming to attack I'll sit right here, just breathe and relax Think fast, that'll make me smile Gotta close my eyes, pray for a while Cause reunion is life, separation is death That's what I gotta say to my last breath go ahead take me take me home but don't take my family take me alone all right go ahead take us take us all i'm gonna kiss the rope i'm gonna raise the call and i'm ready to go so please set me free please break these chains lord when will it be just take my soul away can you free me from these chains Where have you gone? Let me share with you my pain
guide me, protect me, make of me a shining lamp and a brilliant star. Oh God, guide me, protect me, make of me a shining lamp and a brilliant star. I was given my name and placed in this family. What to think in this life that they've handed me? They say they're right, but deep down I know that they are wrong. So I gotta stay strong and keep holding on. But it's hard when it feels like I've got no voice. I'm treated like a child, so I've got no choice but to turn to my friends who make me one of them. The pressure never ends. Oh God. Oh God, guide me, protect me, make of me a shining. So why 
down on Jasper Avenue I looked out for the mountains The city rain had soaked me through Longing for the scars When the words of hatred in my ears A penny whistle in my hand Will these city limits stop my tears And all that I can't stand it anymore This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.